Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Just the Good Stuff. This is your host, Rachel Mansfield, and I have one of my closest friends on the podcast today, Nicole Modic, the recipe developer, content creator behind Kale Junkie. Nicole and I first met a few years ago on a trip out to San Diego and immediately became close friends. She is one of the most passionate, open, and honest people you will ever meet. And in today's episode, you will hear so much about Nicole's life from her eating disorder to becoming a lawyer and transitioning to food blogging full-time and so much more. Nicole does not spare us any details, and I have a feeling you will fall in love with her just as much as I do. And if you guys enjoy this episode, we would love to hear from you. Share it over on Instagram and your stories. Tag us. Nicole is over at Kale Junkie, and I'm over at Rachel Mansfield. And if you have a moment while listening to this episode, I would absolutely love if you could rate and review the podcast over on iTunes. That would be amazing. Now, before we dive into today's episode, we must catch up on my latest obsession for hair care. One of those topics I really never thought I would talk about so much, but over the last few years, your girl has finally perfected what works for my hair and what just doesn't work. And besides not washing it more than one, two times per week, and the cold water rinse at the very end, which is so key. It is all about personalized hair care, you guys, which is why I absolutely love Pros. Pros makes hair products that are just for your hair. They're not products you can find at like your local store or wherever you usually shop, shop for hair care. They're all made just for you from Pros themselves. I use a hair mask on my ends and the roots each time before I wash my hair, followed by a shampoo. Sometimes I do like the double shampoo too if my hair has like, depending on how many days it's been. And then I condition the ends and leave it in for a few minutes before rinsing it in ice cold water. I like wiggle my body a bit. It may sound like too many steps, but I swear this has made my hair so much smoother and so much softer over the last few months, which if you guys follow over on Instagram, you know, I talk about hair care. Decent amount over there and it's all about pros. When you order Pros, you take their online quiz, which helps their team formulate just the right products for you and your hair. And they have over 50 billion formula combinations, which is insanely crazy, but it just shows that they have a combination for you. Head on over to their site, pros.com slash Rachel. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash Rachel for your free in-depth hair quiz and 15% off your order. Plus, if you're not 100% positive, Pros is the best hair care you've had. They will even take the products back, no questions asked. Now, let's dive into today's episode with my girl, Nicole. So professional with your headphones. I I took Greg's Beats by Dre. I was like, I'm going to tune out the kids. I literally locked myself in the bathroom. I'm in the bathroom. (laughs) I'm on the floor in my bedroom. I came in. I was went for a walk with my mom this morning because she's leaving tomorrow for Florida. Yeah. And I come in and I'm like, Jordan, like I have a podcast at 1130, like get the beep out of here. It's like musical chairs. Like he's grabbing <laughs> everything. I'm like peeing 10 times before starting. <laughs> I'm probably going to have to go to the bathroom during this. So when that time comes, I will probably abruptly just leave and do my thing. No worries. <laughs> Luckily I can entertain myself. <laughs> I actually brought, this is like TMI, but I brought my computer into the bathroom when I was recording a podcast with a friend because like I didn't know <laughs> knew anyways. That's the beauty of doing all this virtually. Totally. Totally. You can definitely multitask. 
I know. Well, I'm so excited to have you. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Just I'm good. We have uh, on our end. I have both boys home from school this week, so I'm just trying to multitask and juggle everything. And I can't wait to ship them off on Monday. Why are they home? Because so with COVID, um, after Thanksgiving, they wanted everybody to stay at home and self kind of swap self quarantine for like another week before going back to school. So, you know, we've had some fun times together. It's been good to bond with them, but like, holy crap, it's just hard to, you know how it is trying to juggle with your kid at home. And yeah. Um, it's a lot. I don't know how you do it, let alone with two. I mean, soon <laughs> I will see what that is like. But on Monday when Ezra's nanny was out, we had him since Wednesday. And so yeah. you know, I took like Thursday through Sunday, like off. And when it got to be Monday, I'm like, okay, no, no, no. (laughs) It's time for you to come back. (laughs) Exactly. You know. know. So then I'm like, I feel so bad for like the parents and guardians who are home with their kids and are working full time and like have like their kids and they have to homeschool. You have so much respect from me to be able to do that. Totally. I know it would, it would be the end of me. I think like, just like, I don't know, Greg and I would be like, uh, I don't know. (laughs) No, it's a lot. I definitely would not be able to do that. Um, soon you'll have to share all your tips for, well, actually we can even get to that in this episode, but you can share tips for mothering two boys. Oh boy. Just (laughs) lots of energy. (laughs) I don't have that. I know. Neither do I. But like now, right now, this morning, Ezra woke up, which I know this is not late for you, but like this is very, I mean, this, this is not early to you, but this is early for Ezra. He woke up at 6.50 and I was already awake, but like, there's a difference between being awake and laying in your bed with, in the dark and like being awake and like feeding your child pancakes. So I'm like, <laughs> oh my God, is he awake? And Jordan usually gets him in the morning and I'm like, bring him in our bed. Like maybe today will be the day. Today will be the day. And for the first time in 22 months, he laid in our bed for one hour and watched a movie. Oh my God. Honestly, celebrating the little wins. This is, it's huge though. It was amazing. It was like seven, by the time you, like seven, like seven fifty. So yeah, almost an hour. Ours. And I like literally laid on his stomach. Oh my God. I love it. It was just beautiful. I'm like, can we do this all day? Seriously. That that's the biggest win for today. I know. Okay. Well, I can like have small talk, catch up with you for like probably the hour or <laughs> <laughs> so. But I'm so excited to bring you on the podcast. There's I was thinking over everything in my head of this morning, like things I want to talk to you about because it's I love bringing like close friends on, but also at the same time, I sometimes forget that there's like things that I want to talk to you about that like are so obvious to me that people don't know necessarily about you. So there's a few different topics I want to dive into, but I would love to first have you introduce yourself and tell everyone a little bit about you, who you are and all that fun stuff. All right. Well, thank you so much for having me on the podcast today. I am truly honored. You are one of um, the most special people in my life. So thank you for that. I am, um, Nicole Modic, otherwise known as Kale Junkie on Instagram. I started my account about five and a half years ago as I was sort of recovering from a 15-year eating disorder that started when I was about 15 years old. 
And, uh, you know, I grew up, uh, you know, in a very traditional Armenian household and my mom, um, you know, God bless her. I love her so much, but she was just very much into dieting everything. All of my memories of my mom growing up were about, um, what diet she was on. She did the cabbage soup diet, the rice diet, the, where all she would eat is cabbage soup for days and rice, you know, for days and nothing else. And, you know, she'd wake up in the morning and talk about, oh my God, I lost a pound and I lost a half a pound. And her mood and her days were dictated by the amount of weight she lost or how she looked. And that um, slowly rubbed off on me. And then I started thinking about like, gosh, you know, do I need to lose weight? And what really started the whole eating disorder, it was when I was in 10th grade, my parents decided to send me to an Armenian school because they wanted me to learn Armenian, the language and be around people of my culture. And, you know, I'm not sure about, you know, your community or what Armenian people are very tight knit and very close knit people, but they're also clicky too. And they had gone to school since, since kindergarten. I was kind of like the new gal that shows up in 10th grade. And, um, I was excluded. Like they, the, the girls were really mean to me. They bullied me. The boys really liked me. Uh, the, the girls were mean. And so I sat by myself in the cafeteria at lunchtime every day, uh, gorging myself on the cafeteria food. And, um, yeah, it's just, it was really sad because I was by myself and I desperately wanted to fit in and I desperately wanted to be around people of my own, be around my own people and make really lifelong friends, but I just wasn't accepted. And so because I spent all that time in the cafeteria, eating all the cafeteria food, I'd gained weight, which I didn't even really put two and two together until one day I came home from school and my mom uh, said to me, she was like, you know, I can take you to Weight Watchers. You know, I'm going to Weight Watchers today. I can take you to Weight Watchers. And that was kind of the first time that I looked at myself. I stood in the mirror and I looked at my body and I thought, yeah, it's definitely changed. I have gained weight and maybe that's not attractive. Maybe I, that is, there's something wrong with me. So that like looking back, if you were to like, I, I always say that when I look at myself, when I was like, quote, chubbier, I'm like, was I actually like chubby though? Do you actually think that you were at a point where like, you should be going to where you want? Like that you, it like, it got a little like, not, it wasn't the Nicole that everyone was used to. No, I mean, I, I, I didn't even think that there was anything like wrong with me, or I didn't even think that I, you know, needed to go. I I did know that my clothes weren't fitting as much. And we wore uniforms at the time where, you know, uh, they were kind of like Catholic schoolgirl uniforms of a polo shirt and some skirts. Um, And my skirts were really tight and I couldn't really zip them up, but I would just roll them up instead. I never put two and two together that like, oh, you know, I'm chubby or I'm like, I didn't make the connection. I just like, oh, I'm growing. Like I'm a girl. I didn't, think about it until the, everything started coming together when my mom offered to take me to Weight Watchers and then thinking about her dieting, that culture and how she was always seeking to lose weight. That was the first time in my mind, I'm like, gosh, maybe I, I am chubby quote, like you said, and maybe I do need to lose weight and okay. So let's, let's go to Weight Watchers. 
so I went with her and I actually became obsessed. I like, I learned um, at the time, and I think their program is probably very similar now that they assign a certain number of points to foods. And so I remember being able, I was allotted like 18 points a day and I could spend those 18 points however I wanted. And I very, very quickly learned how to manipulate the way my body looked through food. And I became obsessed with like the point system, like for years, even when I wasn't formally going to Weight Watchers anymore, I mentally memorized how many points were in what, so that I knew when I was going to, um, you know, that, that I could lose weight whenever I want. So I lost about 15 pounds in like three months time or so. So it was pretty quick because I, you know, you know me, like when I stick to something or when I'm a, I'm a good student, like if you give me something and you tell me what to do, I will follow a program to a T. And I like, you know, I was a, you know, at NYU in high school, I was a straight A student. So like I follow things, I will stick to programs. I will, you know, be that good student. So I treated my Weight Watchers program exactly like I did my academic stuff. And once I lost that weight, I also lost my period, which I didn't think too much of at the time. I was like excited about it. I was like, thank God, one less thing for me to worry about every month. I didn't like think that, uh, you know, there was medically something wrong with me, but I also started getting a lot more attention from men. Like I, now I'm 16, 16 and a half, 17 guys started really paying attention to me because I was losing weight. And I, I grew up in LA where, you know, it is, it is a superficial city and, you know, I love it. No, no, you know, it's still, it's my home. It's my home city. It's my home where I grew up, but I started becoming more and more obsessed with how I looked because I started getting more attention from people, men specifically. And then I, uh, I got married at a really young age at 19. Um, I moved to New York with him. He was an Armenian guy. And right off the bat, I knew that I had made a mistake. And I was really embarrassed by that. And I was uh, afraid to leave. And the only way that I um, was able to control how I was feeling was with food. And that was when, you know, my, my binge eating and my bulimia started. So it went from like using this point system at Weight Watchers to control what I was eating, but then it turned into like binge eating and full on bulimia where I was miserable in this marriage. I couldn't tell anybody about it because I was afraid that, you know, afraid of disappointing my family, that I'd made this huge life decision that, uh, we had this. 400 person big wedding at the Beverly Hills hotel. <laughs> like I felt embarrassed, you know, that I had like, I had wasted everyone's time, money, resources, and chose the wrong life partner. So, you know, I would just eat my feelings and I started buying big gallons of ice cream and and coming home, eating the whole thing and making myself throw up. And it was, a, I spiraled out of control while I was in New York and I was still a student at NYU while this was all happening. After I made the decision to, to leave him, that was another, you know, really tough time in my life where 
Uh, my parents ended up rescuing me, but I lived in a hotel for about six months until I graduated from NYU and I was taking the LSAT and still using food to control my feelings and deal with my emotions. So this whole spiral of, of the food continued. I moved back to LA. I went to UCLA law school. I was binging uh, and purging almost every single day during law school. And no one knew I didn't have a, an over, I, I've always loved fitness and exercise, but for me, I never overdid the exercise. It was just a part of my life. So people always associated me with being someone who was fit, but you couldn't tell from the outside that I had, um, a really bad eating disorder. And I think, you know, we can talk about this too, but like a lot of people suffer from eating disorders and you just, you can't, you would never know. Yeah. There's so much that I want to unpack and everything that you have just shared with us. And first of all, thank you for like sharing like such a vulnerable part of, of your life. Like adolescence in and of itself is already like so scary when you're going through puberty and like trying to make friends and like you're like, trying to find yourself at 15 and 16. You're like learning what armpit hair is at that age, let alone having to worry about if your skirt fits. And it's so crazy to me that you went from like, almost like, I know Weight Watchers isn't like calorie counting, but it's like that type of mentality where you're like very calculated and like following a protocol and whatever. And then you had like the opposite end of the spectrum where you almost just like broke and like released yourself, but then, you know, versus hurting yourself in a different way. And that's just like so much fluctuating for you, like emotionally and physically for so many years. So when you got married, were you still, I guess, in that like more calculated mindset? And it wasn't until you were like, actually realized, shit, I made a mistake in this marriage that you kind of went to the other end of the spectrum. Yeah. I would say like, so, you know, when I got married, you know, I was still calculated. Like we'd go to dinner and I would order, you know, the salad with the dressing on the side. He would always want to have a glass of wine and I avoided alcohol to a T just because it didn't fit within my, uh, my points. And then as I started coming, kind of listening to this intuition and this deep sense of, I guess, this deep intuition in me that I had made a mistake. And I, and I realized I made a mistake when you know, he started heavily drinking. He was a doctor. He came, he would come home from his residency and started drinking more. And then I started seeing sides of him that I hadn't seen when we were dating. And so I put two and two together and realized I'm like, oh my God, you know, I made a mistake and I'm 19 and I still have the rest of my life ahead of me. And how can I get out of this situation without hurting my family? and disappointing everyone. And I didn't know how to cope with that. And so I felt my life was out of control. And so like I went to the food and by eating copious and huge amounts of food at one time, it almost felt like my life is out of control. So I'm going to eat as much as I can, but in my head, I still desperately wanted to be thin. So I would make myself throw up and then I'd feel this sense of release. Like I ate all this food. I enjoyed all of that. I threw it up and now I feel calm and I can continue on with my life. It's this like sick 
thing, the sixth cycle that happens where like your body is craving all this stuff because life circumstances feel out of control. And then you purge it and you feel like this release and you're like, okay, I can handle life again. And I'm never going to do it again until something will happen at home or something will happen that makes that craving to, um, binge happen again. For you, how often were you binging and purging? Like, was it like a nighttime thing or like all day or like, was it something that happened like very often? Yeah. Well, I think in the beginning it was something that happened like once a week and then it started happening more frequently as the marriage started declining. And as pressures at school, as I was studying for the LSAT, as everything in my life kind of started feeling more out of control and more chaotic and stressful, it started, it would happen more frequently. So first it's one week, once a week, and then it's once every three days. And then during really, you know, when the shit hit the fan, so to speak with my marriage, after I told him that this isn't working, it was like an everyday thing once a day, mostly at nighttime, because I was, you know, a student, I was going to school all day, I'd come home. And that was kind of when I wanted to kind of OD and overdo every single thing. I'd come home from dinner or I'd make dinner and then I'd, you know, eat a, you know, like I said, ice cream, cause that was the go-to. And then I'd purge and I'd sit down and study for the night. And that's kind of like, I was like a functioning, a functioning bulimic, or I don't even know if that's a term or a word, but that's exactly what I was. I was a, I was a high functioning bulimic that I could graduate, you know, magna cum laude from NYU. I got, I scored really high on my LSATs. I got into UCLA law school while I was a high functioning bulimic. And what's crazy to your point before, it's something that's like so much easier to hide than the other end of the spectrum with disordered eating, where like when I personally struggled with like my journey with food, I immediately lost like 25 pounds and it was like visible to people. Cause it would be like me losing 25 pounds at this weight where like, that's a lot of weight for me to lose and you can see it. So, you know, it was talked about when someone's bulimic or they're binge eating, you don't see it unless you're like physically with them in their kitchen and bathroom whenever they're doing that. I remember one of my friends, childhood friends growing up told me that like she was bulimic growing up. And for like the 10 years we were friends, I had no idea. Like she was my best friend. I had no idea that like she was even going through something because it's so easy to hide. It it is so easy to hide. And, and, and interestingly, like what I've, what I've, as I've kind of done my own research and started reading and digging into it, most people that have bulimia or binge eating disorder, they're not underweight. They are either at normal weights or even overweight. They are, you know, people that, that, yeah, you, you just would never know. Like, as if, you know, to your point, if you, you know, anorexia, something like anorexia is way more visible because people look at you and say, gosh, okay, there, there might be something going on. Maybe it's a health issue that's separate, but it could be this person suffering from, you know, anorexia. Yeah. For me, I definitely, this was before orthorexia was even a term. I remember my mom being like, do you have anorexia? I'm like, no, I don't because I actually eat all during the day. I was like, I'm eating, like, what are you talking about? And I was so fixated on like eating a specific calorie amount, like only eating healthy food that it like, for me, I'm just have a type of body that like, I need a lot of food to like stay a good weight. Like I'm just, that's just been my body. Like, yeah. you know, majority of my life. Like I can't 
be the person who like doesn't eat all day and like I I will be emaciated. So it's just so obvious. Like when I started calorie counting, because it just I immediately dropped so much weight. So when did you like when did like the light switch go off in your head? Like that moment when you were like, Nicole, like this is not sustainable, like mm-hmm. to kind of fix this. Like when did that happen for you? Oh gosh. So this the eating disorder continued for years. And so even after I graduated from law school, I was practicing in my law firm. Um, I dated a bunch. I hadn't met the one yet. Then I met Greg. So I met Greg, my current husband. We've been married now for over nine years. But um, when I met Greg, I was still uh, binging and purging and he didn't know. And, you know, this is an interesting topic too we can talk about. But, you know, we got married and he had no idea. And, you know, it's something wow. that. Oh. He yeah. had no idea when you got married. He had no idea. And this is something like I, I feel, you know, shameful about too, because look, you know, you're married to, you know, that like the basis of any healthy relationship is honesty and trust and communication and the other person knowing like every single thing about you. And Greg didn't know every single thing about me. He knew most things, but he didn't know that I was hiding this part of me because my, my behaviors were normal in front of him. And I was really embarrassed that Greg was the first really healthy, truly, truly healthy relationship that I had in my life. And I, I didn't want to lose him over something like something like this. So I kept it to myself. And I also like was kind of in denial. I thought, I'm, I, I don't have a problem. I don't have a problem, you know, or, or I'd have a, a bad binge and say, you know what, tomorrow's a new day. I'm not going to do this anymore. I don't need to tell, tell him. So Greg and I got married. We moved to San Francisco. So, um, we lived in LA. That's where we met. And we moved to San Francisco, the Bay area. And it actually wasn't until we'd been married for, I think three years. So a long time. I know. Crazy, right? We were in this home that, you know, I'm sitting talking to you from right now. Um, he was watching a show at night. He likes to watch, um, shows at night and where I like to just sit in bed and relax. (laughs) So one night he was out watching, um, his show and I was like feeling in a bingy type mood. And I went to the refrigerator and there was nothing in there that was like appealing. I had no ice cream, no cookies, no muffins, no, all the stuff that like, it was typically sugary stuff that I'd gravitate to. So all I could find was like a bag of like Ezekiel, like healthy bread, which is like, not even like, not like a nice loaf of sourdough, whatever. I find like some stupid bread, but anyway, I was desperate. So I brought, I I put the loaf of bread under my shirt and I walk over to the bedroom. I close the door and I'm reading a magazine in bed, kind of stuffing these uh, dry pieces of bread in my mouth. When all of a sudden the door opens, Greg opens the bedroom door and I like froze, like I froze. I was so shocked. The loaf of bread was underneath the, the covers and the bread I had in my hand, the one piece. I stuffed it in a magazine and he comes in and he's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, nothing. <laughs> and he just comes over and he's like, what's going on? And I'm like, nothing, Greg. And he picks up the magazine that I was reading and this half eaten slice of bread fell on the ground. And that was like my moment of like, honestly, humiliation, 
I felt really, really embarrassed. I felt really exposed. I felt um, unworthy in that moment. I felt flawed. I felt like a liar, like a fraud. Yeah, I just, I felt really exposed and I was embarrassed and I cried and he's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, well, I'm just, I'm having bread. And he's like, Nicole, if you want to have bread, you don't, you can have bread. You don't have to, you don't have to hide it. And, um, so he pulls the cover off and he sees the entire package and he's like, come with me. Let's go sit inside. I eat your bread, sit at the table. He's like, if that's what you want, that's what I want you to have. And he's like, you don't need to hide anything from me. And he met me with, uh, kindness and compassion and love. And even though he's never known anybody in his life that had an eating disorder or that struggled with food, he was just there. And that, that always describes like, when I think about Greg as a person, he's, he is the person that is sensible and he's logical and he's like a rock and he's not judgmental. And so I think I felt really comfortable in that moment, but that was when, um, I realized the secrets out, but I also felt like, um, a big release. Like I'm not hiding anymore. I am not hiding the person that matters most to me in this world knows now I can talk about it, even though it's still embarrassing for me. And that was what that, that was the aha moment that started the path to recovery. And did your, like your mom, your sister, like no one knew, no one knew. No one knew. And they didn't know until I, um, started, you know, fast forwarding a little bit until I had started my Instagram account, which started as just, you know, food recipes after I had my first son, Gavin. Um, and then I don't know, I just slowly wanted to start talking about my story. It didn't even, I I had no plan for my Instagram account. Um, I just wanted to start sharing more about my story in the hopes that maybe it would reach one person. And then my mom read my Instagram post and was like mortified. She was like, I had no idea you, you know, you were suffering or that you went through this. Why didn't you tell me? And I'm like, you know, but I, and I'm thinking, and I'm like, indirectly, she was part of the problem, not in an intentional way. Right. Like a lot of times, like our parents, our parents are imperfect too. number one. And number two, they also grew up in a different time than we grew up or that I grew up. So diet culture was a really, really, really big part of her life. And so she didn't mean to rub that off or impart that on me in a way that would harm me, but it had the impact of harming me in that way. But she took it very personally when she started reading my posts and, um, you know, learning that she actually had, you know, a huge role that shaped kind of, uh, the next big chapter of my life. I think that's even just like one of the hardest parts of being a mother in and of itself is that you like, don't like now with Ezra, I'm so cautious with like, you know, no food rules, eat whatever, you know what I mean? Like, I don't want anything that's like of a diet culture perspective to like ever trickle down to my children. Because like, I just feel like what our generation went through after watching like our mom's type of generation went through, it's like, we can like take those less learning lessons and like, you know, know what to do for our children. So it like, doesn't keep happening. And I think now it's like better than ever with like a body positivity, like movements and people openly talking about this. Like everything was, I think any vulnerabilities really were always just so 
not spoken about, whether it was like disordered eating, like fertility, anxiety, like whatever it is, like no one spoke about anything back then. And so it's now it's so beautiful to be able to like share stories and like hear, you know, there's so many things that you said that like resonate just with me personally. Like I can't even imagine the amount of people that will listen to this and say, oh my gosh, like I relate to that so much because, but I've never spoken about it before. Like it's not something that like was openly said and you can hide that so well, which then just like eats at your emotions and it makes it like, it's not, I feel like you almost feel like guilty in some sense where you're like doing this. It's like a secret, secret, like life, like a secret something on the side. Yeah. No, I was just going to say like, you know, back in, in those days too, like when I was looking online for like, you know, I desperately wanted help everything that I saw online, you know, this was before Instagram, before social media, it was like the only options were like, go to a treatment center, go to like some rehab center where they're going to teach me how to eat again. And I, you know, as a practicing lawyer that I had student loan debt to pay, I couldn't take afford to take three or four or five or six months out of my life to go to a treatment center. And to be honest, I didn't really feel like that was the route that I wanted to go. I really wanted to like hear stories from other people and learn from others and see how they got through things. And it was, it's the same thing with fertility stuff. Like looking online, it was really hard to find, you know, and we can talk about fertility stuff too, because I I know that we share some of that in common as well, but like, it's more comforting to hear stories from other people and community versus like automatically, you know, going online and looking for like, you know, strict medical advice that like really what you need in these emotionally trying times is community and just, you know, information from other people that have gone through similar things. So, so what did you like ultimately do to like self heal, like get help and get to like where you are today? Like, what do you think helped you overcome and not put this in the past because something that you openly talk about, which I think is Mm -hmm. amazing, but like what has helped you kind of move forward and like not and stay like in the, in the great place that you are now? So obviously the first, the first and most important thing that helped me heal was coming out of hiding. So number one, I, I, it's not a secret anymore and starting to like be open about it in conversations with friends, with family, even though it was hard for them to hear with kind of like whenever you know, natural conversations happened with people in my life. I'd be like, yeah, I suffered from that. I struggled with that. I'm struggling with that. So being open and honest takes, removes shame. So that was number one. Number two, I found a really great therapist in San Francisco. She was a psychiatrist that um, I, I really connected with when it came to healing from the eating disorder. And I had to go twice a week um, once a week wasn't enough because there was too many days that went went by before I got to see him again. I really needed somebody to talk to um, during moments where like I felt really weak and was thinking about using food to control stress in my life. And at that time, you know, the biggest stressor wasn't my relationship because I was married to Greg, but it was being a lawyer and being miserable in my career and feeling trapped and not having skills. My education was in law. I didn't have any other skills. I couldn't envision doing any other career because I didn't have any, I wasn't going to go back to school and get any more degrees and put myself into any more debt. So I felt really trapped there. So 
working with him twice a week was huge. And then I did a, um, I signed up for a yoga teacher training with a, a teacher in San Francisco, um, who's pretty famous. And I just, I would take her classes. And so I felt really connected to her as a person. And so I would sneak out of my law office, like, you know, uh, luckily my office was like on a different floor than all the other partners. So nobody really saw when I would leave the office. I, as long as I had my Blackberry near Blackberries, it was like the time of Blackberries where <laughs> the Blackberry, as long as I had the damn Blackberry with me, I could be reached anywhere. But that three month period uh, was really helpful for me because we sat, we sat in meditation before every practice. I, it was the first time I was able to just sit and close my eyes and quiet my mind and fill my time with, you know, and thoughts differently. I learned the spiritual teachings of yoga. I learned to treat my body kinder in that process. And those were like the three things. Oh, and then there was the the book that I read that I still have like three copies in my house. It's called Brain Over Binge by Katherine Hansen. It is, it's a book that's really for um, like binge eating um, and bulimia. And she takes a more of a scientific approach to like why people binge. And, you know, her whole philosophy is, is about there being a part of your brain that um, triggers the triggers a binge. And her, that book really changed me too. She's, there's a lot of wisdom in there. And so I would, I highlighted that I've dog-eared that. Like, so it was a combination of all of those things that like resonated with me. And then the final thing that I would say actually sealed the deal in terms of like true healing was when I wanted to get pregnant. I couldn't get pregnant because I'd lost my period for over 15 years because I had treated my body so poorly. My hormones were all out of balance. In fact, I had like no estrogen in my body. My body wasn't producing estrogen. And so also like I had no sex drive, any, any like, you know, man that I dated or even with Greg too. And he didn't know obviously, but like, I never, ever, ever wanted to have sex ever. I never felt like a woman in my body having normal desires and cravings sexually because I had no hormones in my body. So for me, sex with anyone was always like a painful experience. It was never enjoyable. It was like a chore that I went through. Um, even with Greg, it was like, Oh God, you know, my own husband that I am attracted to, but God, I don't even want to have sex with you. Please don't come near me. So I had to go to a fertility specialist in San Francisco that I found uh, through UCSF. We tried to get my period back by me gaining some weight, by cutting back my exercise, even though that wasn't excessive, but whatever I needed to do to, um, you know, get some extra body fat on me, I didn't get my period back. So we tried Clomid and that didn't work the first couple of rounds. It was really like emotional because, you know, I really wanted to have a kid and I was blaming myself for, um, this eating disorder. And I'm like thinking I treated myself so poorly that serves me right for like, serves me right for treating my body so poorly. The temple that I have, I fucked up my chances to have a child because of the, because of my actions. And Greg was really patient and really loving and kind. He was like, let's just let's keep trying. And finally a, a round of Clomid worked. And that was like, 
you know, I always think about Gavin now he's five and a half, but he was like my miracle child. Like he, for me, uh, proved that I could have a child that I didn't, I didn't, um, ruin my body. I didn't take away that ability to have a child. It was a really hard, it was a really emotional and hard path to getting there. But, um, I had him and that was like the going through all of that was the thing that I was like, I can never, I will never revert back to old ways. In fact, and that was kind of like when I was at home after I had him, I was home on maternity leave, still practicing law. I started my Instagram account. Um, I was posting like, you know, other people's recipes, things that I would kind of make up, uh, my own little, you know, quasi recipes that I'd make up. And, um, I started falling in love with food and I realized that you, I, you can have your cake and eat it too. You can have the cake, you can have the muffins and the cookies and, and everything that you want. I had to really learn how to trust my body again and how to, um, craving, listen to my honor cravings and give in to having the cake and the cookies and the muffins and enjoying it without a sense of, without guilt. As I learned to do that, that's kind of when I found, started to find more and more passion in the kitchen. And I started creating my own recipes and, um, finding the confidence in my voice to share my story with more people. Now, when I can, of course, absolutely relate in terms of when I didn't have my period and then wanted to get pregnant. And then you just like blame yourself because you're like, I'm shit. Like I'm a woman. And I don't mean that like women are only made to be on this planet or made or on this planet, just like reproduce, like produce children. But like, you know, if you think about it, like that was like what a woman's body was supposed to be doing. So when our bodies aren't like cooperating and they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing, it's almost like it makes it worse because in your head, you're like, well, I'm doing all the right things I should be doing. I'm fueling my body. I'm not exercising as much. Like I put weight on like now what's going on. And then it's like, when you get that, like, I almost feel like sometimes the stress of trying to get pregnant, like actually like is worse than like any of the other things that impact it. But once you like have, when you're carrying the child, your child and you're like, Oh my God, we're doing it. Like our bodies were doing it. Anytime I like hear so many, anyone beating up their body or like saying something that is like talking down or poorly to their bodies. I'm like, your, your body has you on this planet right now. It is like making you do the things you do every day, like treat it with respect, like treat it with the love and the like admiration that it, that it deserves. Like your body is so much more than just like the food that it's made up of. Like it needs the love and respect that everyone's body should have. And even after Gavin, you got pregnant naturally. I know it was interesting. So after I had Gavin, um, he's born, I did not get my period. So to have Hunter, we did another round of Clomid that did not work. And then we tried one more time that didn't work. And then interestingly, I got pregnant. I never had my period back on its own naturally. So it was almost like maybe I was going to get my preg- my period back, yeah. but I got pregnant right before I got it because somehow my body was ovulating. And then after I had Hunter, I got my period naturally again. And ever since then, it's like every single month, like clockwork, I've never missed a period. It's like the weirdest, 
like it's an, it's the weirdest and also most beautiful thing because now I will even want, you know, I'm super PMSing or I'm so moody or I'm, you know, whatever it is, I'd never take it for granted. And, or I, you know, I don't care if I'm bleeding for like days. I'm like, I don't care. I'm just so happy that like my body's working. Because <laughs> no, your body's doing what it's like supposed to be doing. And it's like shows that you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, which is the best feeling ever. Exactly. Cause there, it is, you know, doctors would always tell me, um, my gynecologist at the time, even when I wasn't getting my period, he's like, you know, you don't need to have a period. Women don't need to have a period every month. So it's okay. And he would say, there's nothing wrong when you, when the time comes, Nicole, that you want to get pregnant, we can get you pregnant. Don't worry about it. So that's what he would tell me instead of trying to like, let's fix the problem. And the reality is, is that every woman, you you should have a period. And I do think when you don't have adequate hormones in your body, like I said, sexually, you don't feel right. My hair has always been super thin, super brittle. You know, there have been times during high stress periods in my life where I'd lose my hair a lot at a young age. And that all that stuff is hormonal. It's stuff that's all intimately tied to our female reproductive system. I believe that. No, it definitely is. I remember when I first went to a fertility doctor, the doctor telling me that he can get a rock pregnant. Yeah. And I looked at Jordan, I'm like, let's get the fuck out of here. I'm not yeah. going to a doctor who's comparing me to a rock, but thank you. Now let's transition a bit into kale junkies. So yeah. went to law school. You were a very successful lawyer in San Francisco. And then you started your Instagram account and now you're doing your Instagram account and blog full time, which I know how much you love writing blog posts. (laughs) (laughs) Oh oh my gosh. I know. I would always look, I'm like, how does Rachel like come up with these blog posts every single day? Like, does she, like, how does she do this? But anyway, I, um, my Instagram account was a hobby of still practicing law, um, raising Gavin at home. And over time, I, it, it started naturally growing and, um, I started, you know, charging brands for partnerships and stuff. And then after I, about, I don't know, I think I had 60,000 followers or something like that. I'm trying to think back to that. Um, I, Greg would tell me, he's like, keep a spreadsheet, keep a, you know, it can be a simple Excel spreadsheet of like how much you're bringing in. Let's see, like when, when your income, like is kind of matches what you're making in law or close to it, then let's talk about it. And there got to be a point where like, you know, I was at work and I was, all I was thinking about was posting on Instagram and I want to post my meal and I want to post this recipe. And then I had ideas for recipes and I'd have no time to test them because I'm working in this job. And I started getting more and more resentful and angry uh, being in the law, law job. So I told Greg, um, I'm like, I came home one day and I was like, I'm going to quit. I'm just going to, I just need to leave. So, and I'm going to trust the process that, you know, this is the same advice I give everyone is that like, before you leave any career, any job, build up that skill set so that if you do take a risk and you try something new and it doesn't work, you always have something to go back, back to. Greg is more conservative than I am. So he was like, don't quit, don't quit, don't quit. And I was like, no, 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 I am, I am, I am sorry. (laughs) I'm doing it no matter what you say. Because I'm my own person, you know. Were you making like similar money, like at that point in time, like how you said to track it? Like, were you comfortable? No, I was. I would. I would say I was probably making like three quarters of what I was making. Okay. No, half to three quarter. Half to three quarters. Some months were really busy. Some months were not. Um, not as busy. 
But overall, I knew that if I could give it full-time attention, that I could, I could double that. So, um, being a mom and like working full-time as a lawyer, when the beep, do you like make food and photograph and like spend the time, like do like, there's a lot of behind the scenes that like no one knows when it comes like recipe testing, brand partnerships, saying emails, like everything like that. I remember doing it full-time working, but I was just married. Like, no, I wasn't even married at the time. So I obviously didn't have Ezra. Like that's so hard. Yeah. Trying to do so many things, like be good at what you're doing. Yep. And that's why like, you know, my performance at work when I was practicing law, I'm like that started to tank because like, I just didn't care anymore. And so, um, you know, I, I told Greg that I was going to quit. I don't even think he believed me, but I came home that day and I was like, okay, I quit. And he's like, what? I was like, I did. And honestly, it was the, that gave me the time to devote to actually spending time in the kitchen. I mean, you know, like you just said, juggling a full-time job, being a new mom, I, the only time I would have to do it was after at late at night, I would make stuff. And then that's why all my photos were like blue because they were like, you know, you're taking photos with your iPhone at night of these like shitty, like good recipes, but the really shitty ass photos because I had no time to take them, but I was so passionate about it. And so looking back like that, it was the best decision I made. I mean, now I feel like I'm living my passion. I love what I do. It's a lot of hard work, as you know, like you're, you have, um, really done so well with your brand and it is, it's hard. It's a lot of work, but I'm sure like you don't ever look back, you know, at your old life, you know, in those days where you were being in an office and you're like, nope, this is the life that you created yourself. And I think you know, if there's anything that I want to share with people is that you don't have to have a lot of times you don't have to have formal education to start something new. Like I did this with my law degree and I didn't, I don't need a law degree to create recipes or to build a blog that's successful or to build a business that's successful. So. Well, also like you're, I always say this to people who like, aren't happy with their jobs or like what they're doing, like you're in control over your own destiny, which sounds like so corny and cheesy, but it's true. Like, yes, you do set yourself up in a certain career path based off of like your degree, especially if it's a very specific degree. But at this day and age, like there are so many like entrepreneurial pathways that you can go. And like, you know, I know a lot of great content creators that no, they might not have like massive followings, but they're doing awesome. And they're like doing this full time and they're happy and they're pursuing their dreams. So like, there's so many ways to kind of get there and just finding like your own path. And I admire you so much that you had the balls to quit your job because I would have never had the balls to do that in a million years. Like I never would have left like job security, like knowing that I had like a steady paycheck, like that just to me is so scary. And it's like, if I wasn't fired from my job and like, I don't even know if I would have been doing this because that like gave me the time to do it. It's scary to like, take that like leap of faith. And how, how long ago did you quit now? Two years? Oh gosh. I feel like it's been like, I think three and a half, maybe four, I think about four years. I know we've known each other for a long time. That's crazy. You know, and I'm sure you get it too. Like people asking like, oh my gosh, like how did you start? Or like, I want to do, but like, I guess I would just, you know, tell people as you know, it's, it's, it takes time. You didn't grow your business overnight. You grew it over the course of years, um, your hard work, your skills improve your, 
you know, things over time. Like I learned how to shoot a camera. I bought a camera. I'm, you know, invested in that. I'm trying to like, you know, although my video skills aren't great, I'm trying to improve like different things to like, you know, add value and evolve with the times. And, um, and I know that you do the same too. So it's, it's constantly like challenging yourself and, um, finding joy and excitement somehow through the evolution of technology and our social media platforms too. What's your favorite part of what you do? My favorite part of what I do is I think when people make my recipes and share them and tell me like, you know, have their, I don't know. It just like warms my heart when people make my recipes and share like how they are a part of their lives. And also when I talk about more intimate things related to my past eating disorder and getting messages from people telling me that they like are either in the shoes that I was and that I give them hope. And honestly, that to me is like, that's, that's the stuff that's priceless. The brand partnerships pay my bills. And of course I only, you know, like you share stuff that I love, not stuff like enables me to support my family, but the stuff that like truly what fuels me and keeps me going even on days when, you know, engagement is terrible and, you know, whatever it is that's bothering me, I think about my why and that always brings me back and helps keep me going. What do you think are some things that people assume about food bloggers that isn't true? Oh gosh. I think people assume that it's like you just uh, take a photo post and you're on your way. <laughs> um, and, and, and now I have like dead and, eyes, <laughs> you know, or I've had like some, sometimes like messages that like get a real job, you know, what you do, oh you know, God. oh yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. I'll get a real job. You know, you know, you, or I forget sometimes some people are just like, they sit behind their computers and they sit, fly off the handle saying things or, you know, do something real with your life or, you know, whatever it is. But there is a lot of work, like being, you know, creating recipes, photography, all of these creative outlets are real and legitimate jobs and careers. They might not be the traditional path that, you know, especially in my Armenian culture where everybody's either, you know, everyone wants their kids to be a doctor or a lawyer. There's other ways to be successful. And, you know, we should embrace all of the different creative outlets that people are pursuing to find their passions and live, live those out. Because as we all know, life is really short. Are your parents like, well, were they, and are they supportive of the decisions that you made for your career? Like leaving your lottery, like you come from like a very traditional, like Armenian family. Mm -hmm. Was that something that your parents were like, Nicole, like what the F are you doing? Or were they like, you know, you're an adult, you pay your own bills, like do what you want to do. Yeah. I think they were, um, I think they were disappointed. They were disappointed because they loved going around telling all their friends that my daughter's a lawyer. My daughter's a lawyer. She works at, you know, Paul Hastings and you know, I worked at one of the biggest, the top five law firms in the country that, you know, it was really prestigious. They didn't get to tell their friends that anymore. And of course that's just what Armenian parents do. Um, they like to brag about their kids. And so I, and, and also when I started doing this, they just didn't really know, they really didn't know what I was doing, but as I started to grow and explain to them and share now they're super supportive and now they're super proud of me. They're like, wow, you, you know, you did this out of nothing. You should be proud of yourself. I'm like, yeah, you know, thanks so much. And they, they see it now, but I think it's just, you know, they've had to grow and, and evolve in their thinking too. Yeah. I think that's the case for a lot of like 
parents that are like, what, like, what do you like, that don't even like understand really what their kids do. Something I'm so grateful for is that my parents were supportive from day one. Like they were the ones with Jordan who told me like, do like I had, I think maybe like 15,000 Instagram followers when I was, when I was fired from my job and they were like, no, go out and do this on your own. Like do your own thing. And I'm like, who puts that into a 25 year old's head? Yep. Like I didn't know what I was doing. I could barely pay my bills. Like Jordan and I were like just staying afloat with everything, but it was looking back. I'm like, wow, that was like awesome that they fully just like supported that. Like they thought that, I think they also, I'm sure your parents had a lot of trust in you based off of your personality and your like determination and ambition, just based off of your past, like being a very good student. And then like going, getting into a great law school, having a great job. Like they knew you weren't just going to like give it all up and do nothing. So they definitely probably had like a lot of faith in you, which is something too, that my parents always said, like, Rachel, we knew you weren't going to just like sit on the couch and watch Real Housewives. Although that like would be amazing. I'm a little tired right now, but like, you know, they knew that I don't have the personality and I'm sure your parents trusted the same thing within you. Yeah. And I think, and I, I totally agree. And I think like our parents know us and like, they know that like, you know, and, and knowing you for as long as I've known you, you are, um, like sitting on the couch, watching housewives would be fun for a day, but like, do you have this, like a, a really big business savvy to you? Like you are, you're driven, you're passionate about what you do and your success is exciting and it's rewarding. And it's all of that stuff that like, I think my, my parents probably saw that same thing in me that were like, okay, you know, you can do whatever you put your mind to because they know that they believe in us to do that. So, which is so cool to be able to say. Yeah. Um, what is your favorite rest? I think I know it's not, but what is your, <laughs> which one do you think? <laughs> I want you to tell me yours. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's probably my life changing tahini cookies because I love them and I have to make them. I'm like the world's worst friend ever. Like I, I see who made them. Oh, someone made them last week. Belen made them. And I was okay. like, I need to make these like ASAP. They just like look so thick and like pillowy and then but like chocolatey. And I love to make You'll love them. They are, I think, I think they're, they're really easy to, they're easy to make. They're like, there's a million substitutions that you can make to them and they'll still turn out like exactly perfect. So I think that's my favorite. Yeah. He is like, what's your favorite recipe? I need to know. I'm asking you. <laughs> Definitely depends the genre. (laughs) Like I love my cinnamon swirl banana bread is like one of my favorites. I love my chocolate chip walnut cookies because they're like, they also like I use butter and then they're like cookies, you know, like I love a chocolate chip cookie with sea salt. I actually just made peanut butter cup stuffed brownie cookies. Oh my God for February because I'm trying to get ahead to take an actual maternity leave and they are so good. I use the Trader Joe's like peanut butter cups in them, which oh like my God. are not the best ingredients in the world, but like, it's okay. Live a little. No, I love them. My mom and I, when we were out this morning, I go to the grocery store at the ass crack of dawn so that like no one's in there. I go with like the senior citizens and cause they let you in with the senior citizens if you're pregnant. Yeah. And so we always get the peanut butter cups and the organic corn chips, which did you like Fritos growing up? Obsessed, obsessed. I know you go to Trader Joe's. So when you go, go and get the organic corn chips. It's like the ingredients are real. They're not bad. Like it's the cleanest chip. I think that Trader Joe's sells. 
and they taste like Fritos and they're so freaking good. Um, but yeah, I would say those are definitely two of my favorite recipes and soon you're going to have a cookbook. So when someone asks you what your favorite recipe is, you're immediately going to think of your cookbook too. Cause that was the first thing I thought of before even. Yes, I know. I'm like started to brainstorm my recipes and I'm like, Oh my God, what did I get myself into? But it's going to be awesome. <laughs> it's coming out in spring. Is yeah, that- uh, fall 2022. Fall 2022. It yeah. Sounds like it's a century away, but I remember when my publisher told me winter or spray, but it was like winter because it was February, yeah. like spring 2020. And I'm, I just remember being like, I'm not, I wasn't even pregnant with Ezra at that time. Like it was so long ago that it comes so fast though. I'm so excited for you to like, yeah, it's so fun. And which I've told you, it's definitely so different from food blogging and like what you're used to every day, because you're going to be working on all these things in secret. And then like, you're not going to share them, which was my personally, my favorite part, because I didn't have to take a picture of anything. I just Love it. tested it, ate it, and then like moved on to the next one. And it was so much less work to like <sighs> prepare the food. And then you just pay a lot more money and have someone else shoot it. So it's like, I don't know. I cannot, I can't wait. It's just going to be nice to just eat all the food and not have to worry or carve out like two extra hours of my day to like photograph stuff. <laughs> I can't do it anymore. <laughs> the other day, my ankles were like the size of my neck because like I had like cankles from standing yeah. and, and like doing recipes for so oh, long. God. My compression socks because it's the only way that my pregnant ass can like continue, <laughs> continue to do this. What would you say are like your five pantry staples for baking? Almond flour, coconut flour, maple syrup. I have to, coconut sugar, uh, coconut oil. Is that five? Oh, and then, um, you kitchen, the, what am I, the gems. Those are my favorite baking. I That's my favorite. Them. Yeah. No. They're so good. And nothing melts better than Hue chocolate. Like nothing in the world. Yep. Agree. We've had oil. It's the best ever. What are your top five favorite finds from Trader Joe's? Oh, chili onion crunch. Have you had that? It's in a little jar. It's like, a, it's, uh, it has like red peppers in it. Some onion. Oh, the season. Uh, it's a jar, like a, it's like a liquid. It's okay. I'm going to send you a picture. It's so good. It's like my favorite thing. Um, of course, everything but the bagel seasoning. What else do I like from there? Um, we like their peanut butter pretzels. Not, they're not obviously like the cleanest ingredients or the, um, most, I should say most nutritious ingredients, but you know what? Like you said, live a little bit, got to enjoy everything in moderation. And I love that I can find chomps over there, which is, you know, my favorite. Um, and I like their cauliflower tabbouleh, which is I in the refrigerated it. section. Yeah. That's really I think yummy. some of the, like the different regions, like, I don't think that I have that. Oh. Sometimes it's like not, I remember we didn't have the watermelon jerky for a long time, but like other places did, um, which then I tried it and I didn't like it anyways. Nothing's better than dried mango, in my opinion, when it comes to the dried fruit category. Yeah. So anything else that I eat, I'm like, this is good. <laughs> I feel you. I okay. I know not to buy it now. That's good to know. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. I mean, it's just like crunchier. Like I like chewy mango cheeks, like the fat cheeks. I actually like the ones from like the bulk bin, but I'm not really buying things from bulk bin these days. Exactly. <laughs> I want the jerk. So I buy the, the bags from Trader Joe's and they're really good though too. Yes. As long as they're soft. Yeah. 
anything that's off. Yeah. Nicole, I'm so happy we were able to have bring you on. Thank you so much for sharing your vulnerabilities with us and your story. I think it's gonna resonate so well with everyone. Um, and I would love for you to share where everyone can find you. Of course, um, they can find me on Instagram. My handle is at kalejunkie. My website is kalejunkie.com. And I'm also doing um, some stuff on TikTok at kalejunkie. You are like determined. Trying, you know. And the world's like, uh, uh, I guess you could say like social media person because uh, I do not continue to innovate on different platforms. I can't. Well, I all you need to. I mean, all you need to do is take your reels and post, put them on TikTok and move on with your day. It takes five seconds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <The day. laughs>